Ah, and life is worth living just because he lives. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Hmm. And I, I love the, the, the previous songs that, that Ryan led for us, the, Our God and, and You Never Let Go, because if our God is for us, who could be against us? Who could be against us? I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about courage. I want to talk about the kingdom of God today and how if we live in the kingdom, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. And I want to talk about how Jesus lived in the kingdom and how he had courage, okay? So in order to talk about fear and courage and kingdom, we need to talk about this guy first. Who's this guy? Wow. I'm, I'm, I had no idea how many people would know. I, I heard just about every voice. George Foreman. Okay, now I'll, I'll, let me try a new test. This one. Who is this? <laughs> Copernicus. No? You can try. What's that? Yelp. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Who, Da Vinci? No, it's not. He's in the Bible. His, the name, his name is like in there 51 times. This is Herod the Great. Ah. I had the answer, so. Herod the Great. Now, what does George Foreman and Herod the Great have to do with each other? Yes, they're both uncreative baby namers. Yes. 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 I love the McVitie's. All right. So look at this. Herod, he, he named his sons Herod Antipas, Herod Philip I, Herod Philip II, Herod Archelaus, Olympias the Herodian, and Prince Herod. George Foreman, we got his sons George Jr., George III, George IV, George V, George VI. His daughter, Georgetta, if you're pregnant, parents consider maybe Georgetta. I don't, I don't know. And then he, he had a grill he named after himself, George Foreman Grill. This is called by the medical community Don, Donald Trumpism, where you just take your name and stamp it on everything. So, Herod Antipas, George. And I want to talk a little bit about Herod, Antip- Herod the Great, because... And I want to talk about all of these, these other Herods because this was a big part of Jesus' experience. This was a big part of what, when, during Jesus' time, Herod was a big deal. He, 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 this whole family was a, a big part of all the politics and all the conversation. So let's talk about Herod, Herod the Great because he kind of started it all. His family was a mess. He was married about 10 times, uh, had, had 10 different wives, and had 43 kids. Brady Bunch, eat your heart out. And he had one wife named Miriam, who they said was the one he loved. And he loved her so much, uh, they, had, they had five kids in seven years. That's pretty fast. And, but at one point, he got a little bit nervous about her. He thought she was potentially uh, being disloyal or something, so he had her executed. Killed the only wife that he loved. Then he felt like his, uh, her mother-in-law, her mother, his mother-in-law, was also being disloyal, so he had her killed. And then there was a couple sons that he thought were being disloyal and were trying to take over the throne, so he had them killed. And then five days before he died, he's on his deathbed, he heard one of his sons was potentially trying to take over the throne, had him killed. This is Herod the Great. What 
a mess. Now, if you're looking for some reading this Christmas, like this, this month, get Her- the book Herod by Peter Richardson. If you're kind of a history buff and, you, and you're okay with reading a little bit of some technical reading, it's, it's not the easiest reading, but it's, it's not too bad. Get the book Herod because it's amazing. I, I'm only giving you a, a, gl- a touch of what this guy is all about because he, he built some amazing structures and his family is just, uh, there's just crazy. It's incredible. So anyway, um, and, and so a lot, of, a lot of what I'm going through today is from that book. Now, there, there's this one story where he's, a, he's just... He's about to die, and he knows that the Jews hate him because he just did terrible things to them. Uh, and he knew that when he died, that none of the Jews would weep for Herod the Great. They're going to be probably happy that he's gone. So Herod the Great decides to go and grab a bunch of influential Jews and put them in prison. And then he orders the prison guards to, to he says, when you hear about my death, Go and kill all those influential leaders so that there's weeping on the day that I die. <laughs> that's, that's Herod the Great. I mean, just ruthless. Now, his, he, when he died, there was this big mess he left because he had seven different wills. And so his family's like, well, who gets what? And, and, and there, there's this big battle going on. And then three of his sons, uh, Archelaus... Antipas and Philip. Now, these guys are going to be important for today's uh, message, so let's, let's all say their names together. Ready? Archelaus. I'll say, I'll, I'll say it first, then you say it. Archelaus. Antipas. And then his other son, Philip. Oh, we, don't, we don't have to practice Philip. We know that word. So, so these three guys go, hey, let's go to Caesar, and let, let's not deal with this whole will mess. Let's go to Caesar, and let's have him split the territory up. Let's have him split up our dad's uh, territory and give it to us. So they all go to Caesar, and Caesar goes and he splits up uh, the, the territory like this. So you big, the big green area is Archelaus, and the, the area on top is Antipas, and also to the, to the east is Antipas, and then the far northeast is Philip. So they get the land split up accordingly. And before this happens... Uh, let's focus a little bit on Archelaus, because Archelaus, the, he, before he goes, he kills 3,000 Jews in the temple on Passover. So he ticks off the, the Jews, and, and what they do is they, they go, this guy can't become our king. So before Archelaus goes to Caesar to ask for territory, they send 50 delegates, a group of 50, to go up to, uh, to Caesar and say, we don't want this guy to be our king. We, we'd rather be ruled by Syria than be ruled by this guy. So they go up there, they do this. Then Archelaus comes and goes, hey, my dad's will's all screwed up. Can you split the kingdom up? And Caesar doesn't care about the 50, that, you know, the 50 uh, delegates. He just says, yeah, I'll just give you some land. He just hands it over. When Archelaus gets back, he hears about this delegate of 50, this 50 Jews that went up and, and said, we don't want this king, uh, and he kills them. Just goes and he, he gets them all, arrests them, and, and kills them. Now, I tell you this because Jesus' family knows this. This is a popular story at this time. And when Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem, but you may not know this, but he, after, after he was born in Bethlehem, they had to leave. Joseph took the family, and they went to Egypt. Why? Because Herod the Great was ruling at that time, and he had ordered that all male newborns should be killed. So they had to get out of town. Now, 
after he hears the hair of the greats gone, he, they decide to go back. They decide to leave Egypt and head back. Now, check out this, this passage here. But when he, that's Joseph, hears that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned, he, uh, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that, will, that was what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. That's Matthew 2. So this is the reason why they come back from Egypt and end up in Nazareth, because they want to stay out of the territory of Archelaus. Naturally, you would think that Jesus would know this. He'd know this story about Archelaus. He'd know about these 50 delegates. He'd know this story. So when Jesus is telling one of his famous parables about the 10 minas, he's telling this parable, he, he starts it off this way. He said, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Uh, uh, who's this nobleman? Uh? And then calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. He said to them, engage in business till I come. But his citizens, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So here Jesus is telling one of his, his like famous parables, but he adds this little twist. He puts in this little this story that would just kind of be familiar, that would be somewhat taunting the, uh, the, the powers that be, taunting Herod. So look at this next line. He says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So he is just, he's, he's building into the story, the Archelaus story. And I love this. Because Jesus is just being a little bit controversial. As he's telling the, the, this parable, as he's teaching, he's putting a little bit of, of stuff from today's politics into the story. I, I, think it's, I think it's interesting. Something we don't hear about Jesus. Something that's a little bit dangerous, a little bit risky that Jesus puts into his story. I want to go further. Let's talk about Antipas. Now, there's this great line that we're going to talk about in a little bit where Jesus says, go tell that fox. And he's talking about Antipas. And I want to, I want to get to that. So that, that's where we're going today. Go tell that fox. You're going to be so sick of me hearing me say that. Go tell that fox. Okay, so let's talk about Antipas. Now, um, Ant- now, now in, in Luke 3... Luke's writing about, he's setting up John the Baptist. So he writes this long verse that just, when you read it, it just blesses your heart. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate became governor of Judea, and Herod Antipas became tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. How many? Favorite verse? Anyone? Life verse? <laughs> What's going on here? John is, uh, Luke is saying this. This guy was, during this time, this guy was leading, this guy was leading, this guy was leading, this guy was in charge, this official was in charge. The word of God came and it went to this guy. It went to John the Baptist, this locust-eating desert dweller. It didn't go to the guys in power in authority, in, with position, with title. It went to this guy over here, in, this crazy guy in the desert. Is that not the kingdom of God? Everything's turned upside down. The first will be last, the last will be first. The kingdom of God is that way. It's turning everything this world celebrates, and the way we hierarchy things, it turns it upside down. Not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. The word of God came to this guy. 
John the Baptist. And then he goes on. John the Baptist went through all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, you may know this. That John the Baptist, before Jesus' ministry, is going around. He's baptizing people. This baptism of repentance. He's, he's doing this. But, but he's taking it even farther. He takes it actually to Herod Antipas. Get this. Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, was reproved by John the Baptist. For who? Because of what? For Herodias, his brother's wife. Now, what's happening here, and I'll explain this a little bit later, is that John the Baptist is going after Herodias, saying, you need to repent of this marriage to Herodias. I'll talk a little about that later. And then he says, and then for all the evil things that Herod had done, he added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. He put John into prison. Herod saw this big problem with John. John's going around preaching this baptism of repentance. He's, he's calling out, him, he's calling out um, him, you know, himself for, for marrying this Herodias woman. I've got to put an end to this. So he puts him in prison. And Herod's thinking, okay, I took care of that. Got the crazy, desert-dwelling, locust-eating guy in prison. Should be done. Look what happens next. And this... This is just, it's an example of Jesus, this Jesus that we love and serve and praise. This is what he does. Matthew 4. Now when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Which means this. Jesus went right to Antipas' territory. He went right into Herod Antipas' backyard. He went right into the trouble. Jesus heard that John Baptist was in prison, so Jesus went right to that area. Jesus saw trouble, he went right to it. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is this major city by the sea in Galilee, ruled by Antipas. And then, get this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't you love this? His cousin's in prison, and Jesus comes in. I'll take over, buddy. I got it. He just jumps in. He jumps into the area, and he starts preaching repentance. So, this is Jesus. This is the one we serve. This is the one we love. This is the one that died on the cross. This is this God, this, this, this servasive Messiah who comes in and does this. And, and when he hears trouble, he doesn't back away. He doesn't pray. You know, he, he goes right into it. He goes right into it. So when, we, when we're in trouble, when we find ourselves, when there's something ahead of us that looks like it's going to be problematic, do we often pray, God, keep me from that trouble? Or do we go right into it? When there's pain in our life, do we try all sorts of ways to get around it? Or do we go like Jesus right into the heart of it? I love this about Jesus' character, is that he just goes right into the trouble right into it. Herod thought, I'll put John the Baptist in prison, but actually what he got was the Son of God in his backyard. So, Jesus is not intimidated by Herod. Not at all. Not at all. And I want to show you how. There's a a story here. Um, uh, Back to the map. On the very top, you'll see right above Antipas' spot there is uh, Nabatia. It's It's this other country. And it's this, um, this area that's, that's kind of powerful. It's part of Lebanon now today. And it, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the ruler there could potentially be a very powerful enemy against Antipas. So Antipas decides to do something about it. 
He does what anyone would do. He marries uh, the, the leader of uh, Napatias. He marries her daughter, his daughter. He, he decides that. So that, that's, that was the strategy, and that kept peace in the land. But then this problem arose. He met Herodias. So Herod Antipas met Herodias, <clears throat> falls in love. Here's the problem. Herod Antipas, he's married. Herodias, she's married. She's married to Herod Philip, the guy to the right. <laughs> they fall in love. Oh, and also, Herodias is the daughter of one of Antipas's, Antipas's half-brother. So, if they get married, she would be his wife, she would be his niece, and she would be his sister-in-law. And if they had kids, if they had kids, Herodias would be their mother, their aunt, and their cousin. Redneck. (laughs) You know, that's it right there. What a mess. Now, it gets worse. How could it get worse? So Herodias says, I'll marry you, but you got to divorce that woman from up north. And Herod Antipas goes, okay. Not a bright move. Because once the leader of Nabatia hears that he divorced the do- his, you know, his daughter, well, that might get him a little upset. And he did get upset, and he declares war on Herod Antipas. So Herod Antipas hears, hey, they're, they're going to attack us. Let's do that. We need to get our defenses ready. So he sends in 10,000 soldiers to go defend himself against this king. But the problem is the king of Nabatia, he sends 20,000 soldiers. And he just gets romped. He, he just gets, uh, he's, he's totally taken out. It's, it's like this terrible war. Herod Antipas is just totally destroyed from this. I mean, he doesn't lose his country or anything, but, he, but his soldiers are just wiped. They wipe the floor with him. It's just, it's just a disaster. So, Jesus tells this story where he says, he's talking about discipleship. The cost of discipleship. And he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, he's not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. He's comparing it to somebody who goes and builds a building and they run out of money because they didn't budget for it. It doesn't happen today. It happened back then. But then he goes on. He says this, or what king, or what king going, to, going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Hmm. He's poking a little bit at some, an embarrassing story here. He's, he's taunting the powers. He's like, here's a good one. Here's a good one. And he tells a story that everyone would be like, hey, Jesus, cool it. Do you, know where you're, do you know where you are? Do you know where you're talking? Do you know what kind of ears are around this city? You're going to get us in trouble. But Jesus is not, he's not intimidated. He's not intimidated by these powers. He's not intimidated by these kings. He's not intimidated by all the herods of the world. He doesn't care. It doesn't bother him. Look at John Orberg talks about this. He says, 
Jesus keeps talking as if he thinks that somebody is in serious trouble, but it's not him. As if there's some other kingdom that they all can't quite see or grasp that is more real and more secure than the kingdoms of people like Herod Antipas or the king of Nabatia or Caesar. Like it's real. He's just living out of it. He lives with this unbelievable courage. You read the New Testament and you see that Jesus, he has this, he knows about the kingdom of God. And he lives in it. It, 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 it translates everything for him. And it creates this tremendous courage where we are afraid of certain things in our culture, of certain things in politics, of certain things all around us and family and all, all sorts of stuff. Jesus steps right into that with courage because he knows who's king. He knows which kingdom rules and he knows which kingdoms are going to come to an end. This is the God that we serve. This is the Jesus that we serve. Now, back then, the way you got information around was not by internet, obviously. was not by newspaper. They didn't have it. It was by coins. So the way you got some, like, some, a message around is you'd actually mint a coin. You'd put, together some, you know, put something on it, and it'd get distributed throughout the market. <clears throat> so Herod Antipas decides to put on his coin a picture of a reed. This is a picture, and there's a lot of reasons why he did that. Part of it was because the Jews didn't like pictures of people. It was a graven image. And so in order to be, you know, to, to kind of win their favor, he, he put a picture of a reed on his coin. Now, um, back in the day, G, uh, Jesus was talking to some of John the Baptist's followers. You remember, John the Baptist is in prison, and his followers are kind of like, what's going on? What's the deal here? And so Jesus is talking to them, and he says this. He goes, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in a luxury, in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? These are Jesus' words. A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Jesus is saying, why were you following this guy around in the desert? This locust-eating crazy guy. Why, why didn't, were, you, were you looking for uh, uh, some politician who's swayed by the wind? Were you looking for someone in the palace? Were you looking for someone with prestige and power? No, you were looking for something more, weren't you? You were looking for a real kingdom. You were looking for a better kingdom. You were looking for a better king. You are looking for something permanent, something that you can, you can give your life to, something you can stand for. That's what you're looking for. And you weren't finding it in the, with this reed. And you weren't finding it in palaces. And you weren't finding it among people wearing soft clothing and living in luxury, were you? No, you found it in this crazy guy out in the wilderness. Jesus is pointing to this going, the real, the real kingdom, the kingdom of God is not found there. It's found in the foolish. It's found in, the, in, the, in, in those that are, are not considered wise. How courageous. And, and here's the thing. As Jesus goes about and he's challenging the powers and he's stirring things up, his apostles and disciples start to pick it up. They start to get excited. They start to kind of to catch on to this courage. They become more courageous. They, they put fear aside. They see Jesus' courage. They see his, his actions. They see how he's not afraid of, of, of Herod or any, any power, anyone else. 
and they start to get courage. And I, I, love, I love this kind of shocking passage here. So soon after, Jesus went through the cities and villages. So Jesus is going nuts now. He's proclaiming, he's bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, the disciples, and also some women were with him who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And get this, I love this, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And then look at the last line. And many others who provided for them out of their means. What does that mean? That means that Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who's Herod's household manager, who's probably making some pretty good dough, pulling in a pretty good salary, that money is flowing right to Jesus. So who's funding Jesus' ministry? Herod. Herod Antipas is funding this ministry that Jesus is doing to subvert the kingdom. It's amazing. It's subversive. And it's Jesus. That's the, that is Jesus. That is the one that we serve. One who is subverting, who, who's going in. He's stirring things up. He's preaching the good news in this area of this man who put his cousin, John the Baptist, in prison. This is Jesus. He's stirring up his apostles, stirring up, up his disciples. He's making ruckus in this area. That is Jesus. Now, when Herod the Tetrarch heard all this, all that was going on, he was perplexed. He's like, what's going on here? Because he heard that some, that, that John had been, some people were saying John was raised from the dead. Some say Elijah had appeared. And others saying that some of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, I've had a John, but who is this about who I hear such things? And he went, he sought to see him. Now, and when it says he sought to see him, he didn't, you know, I don't go hear a sermon. I want to go hear one of Jesus' messages. And he wants to take him down. That, he, he doesn't want this mess anymore. Now, in the next paragraph, he says, uh, on their return, the, the apostles told him, that is Jesus, all they'd done. The, the apostles are going out. They're preaching the gospel. They're healing, healing the sick all around in, in Antipas' backyard. And Jesus took him, and then they took off and left for Bethsaida. What this is saying is, Herod caught wind Herod's going after Jesus now, and things got a little too hot in Galilee. Things are getting a little bit too, you know, intense. So, so he said, he, 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 Jesus decides to take, him, take his apostles out and go to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is in Philip's land. Now, if you remember Herodias, uh, Antipas and, and Philip, they aren't talking very much. So, so it's safe to go into Philip's land. So he, go, he takes his apostles and they go away. So I love this because Jesus goes into Galilee, drops this love bomb in there. He's healing people. He's got apostles doing it. He's being funded by Herod Antipas himself. Drops it, creates all this chaos, all this ruckus, and they back out. And it just stirred it all up. It's amazing. This, this is not flannel graph Jesus. This is not soft and cuddly, you know, meek and mild. This is, this is, this is subversion. This is, he's creating some chaos here. Right in the backyard of this man. I love it. Don't you? Don't you love this man? Don't you love the, Jesus and his, 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 his passion and his power and his courage in the midst of fear? Can you imagine how scary that would have been? I told you all the stories about Herod the Great killing people at a drop of a hat. That's what the way it was. And Jesus did it. 
He, he, he stood up to these powers. Now, there's another passage where some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. Now, here, look at Jesus' response. Jesus says to him, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Can you hear the defiance in Jesus? Go tell that fox. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to heal the sick. And on the third day, the third day, resurrection day, kingdom of God day, I will finish my course. I will reach my goal. Go tell that fox. Can you hear this in Jesus' voice? Coming against the powers. And the word, the word fox there, when you hear the word fox, if you call someone a fox, what are you calling them today? Sly, yep. Back then, it actually meant fraud. Because a fox was like a wannabe, a poser. And the way they looked at it was, like, a lion would make a kill, and then it would eat its food and leave, and the foxes would come and finish it off. But the foxes would act like they're the ones that did the kill. They're a wannabe. They're a poser. And so when, when uh, Jesus calls Herod Antipas a fox, he's saying, you poser, you fake, you wannabe. And basically he's saying this, Herod, you're a puppet. You're a puppet. Caesar's king and you pretend that you're Caesar. You pretend that you're a king. You're not a king. You're just under, you know, whatever Caesar wants you to do. And you don't have a real kingdom. Your kingdom's coming to an end. Your kingdom is not going to last. Your kingdom is coming down. Go tell that fox. Go tell that fox. This comes from this understanding of Jesus. He knows who's in charge. He knows who's king. He knows what kingdom is the ultimate authority. And with that understanding, Jesus goes around with courage and challenges all these other little kingdoms all around him. So my question to you today is this. As we talk about and we finish, we talk about being rooted in Christ. Who are the foxes in your life? Who are the the posers? Or maybe what? What are the posers? What are the foxes? What are the things that look like they have lots of power? Actually, and, and the world maybe says it has lots of power over you. But it's a poser. It's a fake. It's a wannabe. What are those foxes in your life that are holding you back from being courageous like Jesus was? What are those foxes that are keeping you afraid? Because look at Jesus. He just looks right into this, right into this whole structure, right into this kingdom and says, go tell that fox. I will I will cast out demons. I will heal people. And I will, on the third day, I will finish the race. I will finish my course. He is not intimidated by threats, by prison, whatever. He will do what he's supposed to do. I recently saw this, and I, uh, um, a blog post. I think it was InterVarsity that put it out. They, they did this big survey of all these college students, and they asked these, co- they asked these college students, they said, 
what is it that keeps you from going into global missions? Why, why are you not considering global missions? What, what keeps, what's the number one reason that keeps you away from being a missionary? And the number one reason was fear. Fear. Afraid that they would not have any money. Afraid that they would get sick. Afraid for their life. Afraid for their, you know, their welfare. Afraid they'll get thrown in prison. All fear. And it's not a kingdom mindset. It's not, it's, uh, to, to, to be held back by fear is not a kingdom mindset. We're following this Jesus who says, all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. He is the king. He is the king. This God of love, this God of grace, his justice, that's what rules. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if our God is for us, who could be against us? If our God is for us, who should we fear? Look at, we're, we're, we're coming on the Christmas season, and we're going to hear lots of passages, but one passage I want to just, I want to raise your attention to is this. Luke 1, it says, he will be great. This is to Mary. This is the angel talking to Mary. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his end of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's no end to this kingdom. It's not temporary. It's not fake. It's the most firm thing you can stand on. So what do we have to be afraid of? What are you afraid of? What holds you back? What keeps you up at night? What worries you? I'm always amazed at the things that I worried about a year ago, I can't even remember. The things that I thought were going to tear my family apart or tear me down or ruin, I'm still here. The things that I was afraid about, God got us through it. If our God is for us, who could be against us? If the King of God, if Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what have we to fear, Chapel Hill? Nothing. Nothing. It is the first Sunday of the month. And so we're going to celebrate communion this morning. So I'm going to ask the, the ushers to come forward, the elders to come forward, the worship team to come forward. And as they do that, I want to I focus on one more verse here. In Luke 13, that's where Jesus said, go tell that fox. But later on in the verse, he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing? In Luke 13, Jesus compares Herod Antipas to a fox. But what does he compare himself to? He chooses a hen. Isn't that interesting? The fox and the hen. That's the picture Jesus puts before us in this passage. Now, if you put a fox up against a hen, who wins? The fox. Because the fox's teeth and, you know, can tear apart this hen. 
What, has it, what does a hen have to defend herself from a fox? Nothing. Except for her own life. That she would gather her chicks together and she would take the blow. That is the only defense she has. That with her own body, her own life, she would protect the chicks from the blow of the fox. And that's the God that we serve, the one who took the blow for us against the powers of this world. He took the blow for us as a hen gathers her chicks. But then that's not the end of the story because the chicks, they become courageous. The chicks, the disciples of this hen become courageous and they too give their lives for this kingdom. They too walk in courage. They too put off fear and begin to follow in a courageous way. And my prayer this morning with this sermon is this, is that, that we would leave fear for courage. And as we take the bread and the cup this morning, that we would see that Jesus took the blow for us. And he did it knowing that he was perfectly safe in his Father's hands the whole time. So as you take the bread this morning, the bread that symbolizes God's, Jesus' body given for us, and his blood, the cup, as you take that, it's his blood shed for us, the blood that never fails, that you would remember this, and that you would ask Jesus to give you courage to overcome the fears in your life. I, I know there are people sitting here today who are just weighed down by fears. We could sit down over coffee and you, we would list them. I know. And that's why I'm calling you to say, you need to address those. Put them before God and say, these are the things I'm afraid of. Help me to have a kingdom perspective over these fears. Help me to see that you are king and that all authority on heaven and, in heaven and on earth is given to you and even over this situation that I'm afraid of. So I want to encourage you right now as, as we worship, as we spend these times singing these three songs, as we come forward and we take the bread and the cup, as parents you tell your kids whether or not it's time for them to do this, that you would consider the things that you're afraid of and consider whose king and whose kingdom it is. Let's pray. King Jesus, we acknowledge that all authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. No matter what, you have all authority. Your kingdom reigns. Jesus, help us to have courage against the powers, against the authorities, against the, the things that keep us back the things that hold us back from following you with courage. Jesus, I pray right now, I ask that you would lay out in front of us the fears that hold us back, that you would clearly put your finger on them right now. What are the things that we're afraid of? Lord, help us to see them. And help us to deal with them, Lord. Give us a kingdom perspective so that we can address those things just as you addressed Herod Antipas. Go tell that fox that, you, that we, would be, we would stand up with courage to these things that we're afraid of. That we would not be a church or a people marked by fear, but we'd be ones marked by 
courage, the courage that you give. Jesus, as we take this bread and cup, may it be a tangible reminder of how courageous you were, of how you stood up to the powers and how they put you on the cross, but it did not end there. That three days later, you did finish your course. You did reach your goal. You did resurrect. And because of that, we do have salvation because of you. Rise up courage in this church, Lord. Raise it up. May we be courageous followers of you. Cast out fear today, Lord. Draw our hearts where we're asleep. Wake us up. Wake us up, Lord. By your Spirit. Help us not to be complacent. Move us into action. Help us to stand up to tell the foxes in our lives that we will do what God has called us to do. And we will finish our course by your power. Holy Spirit, have your way in this worship time as we end our service. And be with us this week, Lord. Challenge us to overcome our fears wherever we see them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.